welcome to the Soar Community Network podcast with your host, Malie Ponpadit. Here, inside our community, we help each other see, own, articulate, and release our unique message and mission into the world. Uncover your gifts and talents, release your passions, own your purpose, and let's soar together. another episode of the SOAR Community Network Podcast. I'm your host, Molly Ponpadith, and today I have Steve Orr as our guest. Steve is a native of New York. He moved from New York to Washington, D.C. in 1992 to become one of the founding news anchors for USA Today, Sky Radio. After Sky Radio, he remained in Washington and worked for, among others, the Associated Press Radio Network, CNN, WTOP Radio, and WTEM Radio, now ESPN 980. He launched his media consulting business after an award-winning three-decade broadcasting career. The last half was spent as a business news anchor and feature reporter at the Market Watch Radio Network. He was regularly heard on some of the country's biggest news stations, including 1010 WINS in New York, WBBM in Chicago, and WTOP in Washington, D.C. As many as 18 million people heard Steve's network every week. Steve, we're honored to have you. My pleasure. Thanks so much. That was that was two paragraphs and a total mouthful because the accolades, the places you've been, pretty extraordinary <laughs> career. So I am just delighted to have you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Um, Basically, I- it... I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was no, going to say basically, ahead. it just means it just means that I've been around a long time. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. Hey, experience cannot ever be replaced. So thank you. Um, I'd love to really share with our audience a little bit about what it means to be um, on the radio, what it means to be a broadcaster, what it means to be an anchor, because I think that there's some uh, ideas of that. We see it. We watch the news. We see all these personalities up there, and it's a totally different world for some of us who aren't in the industry, who didn't study it, who aren't doing it. Um, what's it like behind the scenes and right before the you know the switch comes on and says, okay, you're live now. Tell us, paint us a picture. <laughs> it is certainly not as glamorous as you might think. Oh, That's come the on. Number one. <laughs> number one. Number two, what I love best about radio, I didn't have to get dressed up and I didn't have to shave every day. So cool, that right? was wonderful. That's really cool. But... Uh, Seriously, it, it it really is a lot of work. And and you mentioned uh, my time at the Market Watch Radio Network. Uh, let me give you my typical day. My typical day was I would get in. I'd have less than an hour to write my first newscast. I would get on the air uh, in less than an hour. And over the next seven hours, I was on the air over 20 times. And that was twice an hour. I would do the network. I would do 1010 wins in New York. You mentioned that station. And in between being on the air and writing my newscasts, I also had to do feature reports for the weekend. That required me to be my own producer, to set up my own interviews, do the interviews, uh, cut up the interviews into uh, little chunks. I would do a five-minute interview, turn it into a one-minute feature. I would have to do that all as well in between being on the air. So... After hearing that, I'm and on top of that, I would literally, literally have to worry about seconds 
when you're on the network, if you are not perfect, you get cut off. So there's a little bit of pressure, a little bit of stress. And I am sure when you hear that, you'll say, oh, that's a lot of work. Not really glamorous. That's right. Well, now that you shared some of the challenges and some of the, the, the pressures, um, what did you really appreciate and value and enjoy most about your three decades of broadcasting? I think first, when I started out in local radio, one of the things I really enjoyed about local radio was I could have the interaction with the people. I felt like I was making kind of a difference when it comes to local news. We were very involved in the community at the stations I worked for early in my career. Uh, I started out uh, after I went to college at the University of Wisconsin. I went back to New York, and my career actually started uh, for several radio stations in, in Connecticut. And I would be doing news, sports, and I did some business news as well back in that day. But really the, the most fun I had from that perspective was just feeling like I was a part of the community. And really we had good listenership from all the local politicians, all the businesses, and we would get out there, we would sponsor things. There was a time where I gave away a $25,000 mortgage. Now that was kind of cool. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and and the kicker to that story, later on, 20 years later, I met the people who I gave that $25,000 mortgage to. They were the parents of a friend's sister-in-law in the D.C. area. Small now, how bizarre is that? <laughs> small world. Small world. Uh, but I think, you know, as I got to the network level, it was a different kind of joy. I mean, that was... That was more, I was giving folks the information, hopefully helping them, especially from a business news perspective. We spoke to the average Joe, the average investor. So hopefully they took some of the news that we were giving them and it was accessible to them. So it was a different kind of interaction with the public there. Now, the very interesting thing, I was reading the, the bio and, um, looking, and, and looking at the different types of topics that you covered. You mentioned sports, you mentioned business. Um, what preparation is required? I mean, is it just a matter of reading what's given to you? But for you, uh, being able to be knowledgeable about all these things, because it's not just one area of specialty that you focused on. It's pretty broad what you've, what you've broadcasted and shared throughout the, the years that you've been there. Um, what kind of preparation does it take? Are you constantly reading? Are you constantly researching? Do you have a team around you? What's it like? Research and read. I wish I had a team, <laughs> but pretty much everywhere I've been, you're pretty much on your own. Although, well, let me let me go back one step from that. From the local standpoint, when I worked in local radio, we were on our own. We would do our own research, our own reporting. Uh, when I worked at the network level, um, it was you were on your own, and I had I had the ability to make the decisions about what stories I would cover. Uh, but there were, let's say, when I worked at the Associated Press Radio Network, there was a period of time there where I would write what is called the news minutes, and they would be for local radio stations around the country could take those rip and read if they needed to, and that would be national and international news. Uh, one thing there, we would take what they called A stories from the Associated Press wire, which were stories that were maybe 20, 30 paragraphs, and we would have to get those down to two sentences for the radio. 
So we took that information and tried to make it accessible to the radio public, which is a very different thing. You're writing for the ear. You're basically writing headlines as opposed to what you would read in the newspaper. So it was a combination of doing our own reporting. And when I got to the network level, it was sometimes my own reporting, whether it would be for my features or whether it was some of the business news at the Market Watch radio network. But we would also take in whatever wire stories, Reuters, Associated Press, uh, Market Watch had its own website, the Wall Street Journal we worked with. We would take those stories and use those stories, but re rewrite them differently uh, for a radio audience. Hmm. I could just listen to you all day long, by the way. Uh, thank you. Total radio <laughs> voice. I love it. Anyway, Steve. <laughs> One of my friends, I, I, I have to tell this story to you. I'm sorry. Please go well, I, I, I go to a childhood friend's house when I'm up in New York and we visit. And the, the running joke is that uh, we sit and talk at night and I put his wife to sleep because my voice to her is soothing. So she lasts maybe 10 minutes. And I would agree. It. I would agree. Um, but I can't fall asleep right now. We've got to keep going with this podcast. <laughs> That's beautiful. Anyway, can you bring us uh, to present day today and let us know um, what the journey has been like and how did you uh, get to launching your own media consulting business? I'd love for you to share that transition. Well, the transition happened when they shut down the MarketWatch radio network at the end of uh, 2014. I was actually the last guy on the air for the radio network on New Year's Eve on, in 2014. So that precipitated the change of career. I had really thought about, you know, what would I do after my radio career? I knew it couldn't last forever. I was very, very fortunate to have a three-decade career and, you know, half of that career at a radio network such as Market Watch, wonderful place. Uh, we were you know, shut down and I, I thought to myself, OK, how do I make a transition that will work for me? How do I use my skills that I acquired after three decades in the broadcasting business and try to help people on a more individual level? And that sort of precipitated the, the change for me. And I was in my 50s when all this happened. And, you know, it's not easy finding a job in your 50s. It's not easy starting a consulting business in your 50s. But you have to do, I mean, I asked myself three questions uh, when I decided to make the move into a consulting business. The three questions I asked myself, um, what's my passion? What am I going to enjoy? Um, what are my skills and what value do I have? What value can I bring to folks? And that's sort of how I came up with the idea, okay, I'm going to be a consultant. I can help people become more effective speakers. I can help them create and produce podcasts. That's great. Well, we're grateful to have you because, I mean, we, we just talked about this prior to um, rolling with this interview is – we would love to have someone with your experience, even with the SOAR Community Network and all the uh, types of podcasts and production work that we're doing. I mean, you can't find this type of talent easily. So for me, it's like, thank goodness you have your own consulting firm and we could just bring you on board because it would be very hard to find someone with three decades of experience to help our clients and even help us 
get better at what we do, become effective speakers, you know, the nuances of broadcasting and, and, and projecting your voice, for instance, little things that make a big difference. So for me, it's like, yes, you have this media consulting business. It's a win for us. It's uh, Hopefully it's a win for you. But I know that from our conversations previous, it hasn't been easy. And I think that the reality of being an entrepreneur, just like you were sharing earlier about what it really means behind the scenes of, of being this um, broadcast, I would call, I'm going to call you a celebrity, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Let's, um, and my wife always says I'm a big deal in my own mind. So, <laughs> you know, thank point, you. The point is, it seems so much more, uh, let's say, sexier or it just seems so cool until you have to do it. And I think the same applies for entrepreneurship, right? Uh, once you get over that hurdle and everything starts to have this domino effect and uh, it's, it's a really beautiful thing. But the first few years of figuring things out are not very smooth at all. So can you share with that? You mentioned making this career transition in your 50s and starting your own consulting business, not just from an age perspective, obviously, but just in general. Like what are some of the things that you were challenged with um, having uh, worked for some having worked for stations that provided you with the steady income and then transitioning over and saying, okay, how do I? How do I do this? How do I build a viable business? What are some of your challenges and how have you been able to overcome some of those? I think uh, the biggest challenge for me initially was really just trying to figure out my value. How can I help folks with the skills that I have? And figuring out my value, then I had to figure out, okay, I'm going to build a website. Uh, what do I do with social media? How do I position myself? How do I differentiate myself from others who do the same thing? Uh, that was the first initial challenge. The second challenge was trying to figure out, okay, I figured out my value. How do I get my business now? How do I network? Who do I network with? Where do I go? Do I go to chamber of commerce? Do I cold call folks? Do I partner with folks and you and uh, SOAR has been a great opportunity for me to partner with folks who are like-minded and trying to do the same kinds of things that I am trying to do. So who do I partner, who do I partner with? How do I partner with folks? Uh, and the third challenge I think has really been, it hasn't, I mean, I've been very fortunate in that, you know, my wife has a job, she has the benefits, so I'm able to go out there and figure out how to build this business. I think the third challenge for me is learning all these new skills that I never had. Mm -hmm. uh, and also the challenge is with what I do, you know, it's more a want than a need. How do I convince folks that the kind of services that I offer really should be a need as opposed to a want? And that has been, I think, uh, a third challenge in trying to overcome that challenge. Now, what has worked for you? What has worked for you in terms of making the right kinds of connections, um, you know, being in the right place, growing and learning and developing as you're uh, on this entrepreneurial journey? I think one of the first things I, I did was I talked to as many friends as I had and as I have and I say, hey. Uh, do you know who I can talk to? I, the, the, I, I basically went on a listening and researching tour, if, if that, <laughs> that makes sense That's to you. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to talk to as many different people to get as many different tips as I could about launching 
a consulting business. So I went around and I talked to as many folks as I could. I still need to do a lot more of that. Uh, that was that was something that I did. Then it was just I, I, I think another I want to this is a big challenge, too. For somebody who had over 20 deadlines a day for 15 years of the Market Watch Radio Network, learning the slow pace of business development has been extremely difficult for me. Uh. You can talk. I've talked to folks six months ago and finally something is starting to bloom. You know, you plant that seed and it takes so long before anything comes to fruition or it doesn't come to fruition. Uh, that's something that has been a big challenge and something that I have to get used to uh, in, in going on this journey. Right. Well, it takes a lot of, uh, excuse me, practice. It also takes a lot of uh, commitment to have the process. When I was in financial services, Steve, uh, we had wonderful training. And one thing that they taught us right away is to make sure that you have your calendar per week filled because of that, right? You, 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 you want to make sure that you have a lot of different relationships at different phases moving along on a daily, on a weekly basis. So one thing that we learned in the business development world for financial services, because and financial services was very transactional. Now, it's a little different because when you're trying to build, it's more relationship-based, right? But it's really about just making sure that you have lots and lots of activities going on, different types of relationships. And the best advice I ever got, and for our listeners and for you and for me to remind myself this too, is when we learned uh, this concept of 555. When I was in financial services, they used to just drill that into our brains. And the concept is every week you should have at least five new scenes on the books, whether you keep them is a different story because everybody's busy. You have to move some schedules around. So you have five new scenes, and then you have five uh, previous or existing clients that you want to meet with or touch base with, and then you have five what you call centers of influence. You know, people who really advocate for you. They may never um, have been a client or interested in being a client. They just don't have the needs that you offer, but they love you. They support you. And being able to strategically think about having a calendar and look at it and say, okay, do I have five new scenes? Do I have five existing? previous clients that I'm touching base with this week and do I have five advocate centers of influence that I'm um, you know connecting with when I follow that model like like strictly I was able to capture about 100 clients a year and wow. it really is a process it's scientific but it's also art based you still have to have the personality you still have to you know kind of maneuver and and be social and people person but you also have to have the math behind it so it's very interesting when you say that uh, it's skills that can be developed but it's not always easy to stick no. to those things you know it's like <laughs> overwhelming i have to do all of that and run a business and you know try and actually deliver all my promises it's it's quite interesting so for for our listeners who are interested in entrepreneurship it's beautiful and we're not trying to discourage you but it's a lot of getting used to new skills and learning new things and trying things out and pivoting a lot of pivoting <laughs> Absolutely. And I think one of the other things, too, that I did not mention is, you know, as I was going on the listening tour and reaching out to as many people as I could, uh, the other part that the, the, the challenge is when you are going through friends of friends of friends or somebody says, oh, speak to that person, speak to that person. 
being able to handle the rejection oh, <laughs> when they ignore yes. you and you get a lot of that no matter, you know, I used to get a lot of that when I was a broadcaster, when I was in the news business, you know, people would, would ignore me all the time and, but we would just move on to the next person and that was okay. It's, and then you don't take it personally. It's a lot more difficult when you are out there trying to drum up business or trying to talk to somebody just for an informational meeting and they ignore you. That is more difficult not to take personally. I'm getting better at that. Uh, and then I realized, you know, it's kind of like in the, in the universe, you throw your love out there and if somebody doesn't accept it, then you just kind of move on. That's, <laughs> nice. that's, that's what I'm learning about the business world. If they don't want to accept, you know, accept me, just move on to the next person who will accept you and your talents. Exactly. That's what, that's the way you have to think. Yeah. It has to be a match. It has to be a match. The right time, the right place and the right people. <laughs> Correct. So that's wonderful. Well, um, I really love talking about the reality of um, being in business for yourself because it's it's true. I mean, it's so worth it. And at the same time, you know, you can't always paint this beautiful picture. It's a journey, definitely. Um, so anyway, let's let's move into this um, this concept of you offering these services based on your passions and your experience because you spend some time really helping um, individuals become more effective speakers. Um, and and how do you do that is my question. What do you mean when you say become more effective speakers? What do they typically look for, and how do you service, and what problems do you solve in order to deliver on making them better speakers? And how do you measure that? I know that was a mouthful, a lot of questions in one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think one of the, you know, there's a Jerry Seinfeld joke about uh, folks in public speaking. It's the number one fear and death is number two. You've probably mm -hmm. heard that That's one. Right. Uh, there's a there's a Mark Twain quote that I like to tell folks there are, um, are two different kinds of speakers. I'm going to try to find it. Uh, those who get nervous and those who are liars. Uh, <laughs> So a lot of people are nervous about public speaking, but even beyond the nerves, it's how do they do that effectively? How do they get their messages across and how do they get their messages to stick with their audience? And that's a that's a difficult thing for people to understand that you can go out there, you can go to your speaking engagement and you can say stuff. But what about the takeaway from the audience? One of the first, there, there's two questions that I initially ask a client when I start working with them. And this is from the audience's point of view. Why is this significant and why should we care? To me, that's the first place I start. And that gets people thinking about, oh, you know, it's not really about me and necessarily all the brilliance that I have. It's how I can communicate this brilliance to the audience. And then we go to what I uh, do, the least the way that I train, is a three-step approach. Number one is focus, number two is preparation, and number three is practice, and they are all linked. For instance, let me start with um, focus, if you want me to get really involved now. Yeah, go for <laughs> it, yes, please. Uh, focus, I'll just give you the, the quick highlight. To me, when I talk about focus, that is how do you shape your message for your audience. And that's generally we, we talk about three major points that I think people need to get across and why three there's a study going back, uh, many years ago. Uh, and it's all about how much people can retain. 
I won't get into the study per se, but the, the bottom line is that we forget so much so quickly. So why three? Because three is a number that's basically manageable for folks to take away. Uh, so once we figure out what the messages are, then you have to shape the message. I like to say that people have a headline and then you must provide the rest of the story. You know, Paul Harvey many years ago, the rest of the story. Uh, so, <laughs> and the rest of the story is really your stories that your anecdotes, your examples, your facts, your data, your surveys, all the supporting information that can make your headline more substantive. So that's, that's focus. Preparation, you know, I, I talk about preparation and that's a couple different things. That's about knowing who your audience is. And I always tell folks that you really need to know who you're speaking to. If you don't know that, you're not necessarily going to speak the right way to that particular audience. Let me give you an example for that. Let's say you were a rocket scientist, and I actually helped one a while back. Uh, if you're a rocket scientist and you're talking to your peers, you're going to have a much different presentation than it would be for a group of fifth graders, wouldn't it be? I mean, right. you would think that would be natural, but a lot of people don't think about that. So that's, that's preparation from that aspect. If you're going to be in an environment, you know, I always tell people get to learn more about the room you're going to be in, how the setup is, what the parameters are of your talk. Uh, and again, I'm not talking about media training now. That's similar, but uh, we could get into that at another time if you'd like. Uh, it's very similar, but I'm just talking about basic public speaking situations like being a panel member, uh, giving a presentation, that kind of a thing. And I, the third thing is, is practice. And I think this is where people really let up. They think, oh, I know my material. I know who my audience is going to be. So I don't really need to practice. Yes, you do. <laughs> you know, there are your voice, your body language. How do you conquer your nerves? Those are three general areas that I work with folks to help get them more comfortable in front of the microphone or behind the microphone or with their slides or whatever they're going to do. Uh, there are many, many ways to practice. Let me give you a couple of quick ones. I always tell folks, you know, you need, why don't you just look into the mirror and just look at your body language, uh, tape yourself, see how you sound. You have a lot of uhs and ums, and that's hard to get out of people's natural sound or natural speech pattern. But there are ways that you can eliminate that. Uh, your, your body language, your voice, your modulation, don't be monotone, simple things like that, that people don't really understand until they either see, their, see themselves on camera or hear, their, hear themselves on tape. I'm sure when you play this podcast, I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to say, Ooh, <laughs> did I really sound like that? Uh, but, and people just sometimes have trouble realizing the need for that. Got it. Okay. Focus, presentation, practice. Yes. Took lots of good notes already. <laughs> Oh, my. Okay. And I'm not even charging you for this. 
Well, thank you for all this advice. Our, our listeners, I'm sure, and myself are taking notes, I hope. And um, I'll hopefully contacting you, too. Now, let's Yes, steveormedia.com. Yeah. That's right, steveormedia.com. <laughs> now, let's talk a little bit about uh, the world of podcasting. And, and what I want to talk about is creative expression. Because obviously, you have podcasts. You have many different channels now with technology and social media right there at our fingertips, you know, from our mobile phones to our desktop. Um, let's talk about creative expression. Each of us are so unique and different, and we present a different way, but what allows us to still be who we are authentically and still give a great presentation uh, and first impression or lasting impression? What can you speak to around that when you talk about public speaking or when you're behind the microphone? How do you how do you make that impression strong and, and memorable? Well, yeah, and you, you touched on it very briefly. You said authentic. I think that's one of the things. You can't be somebody you're not, no matter what you do. You have to be authentic. And when it comes to podcasting, one of the beauties of podcasting is that it is so diverse. You can, if you go online, you can see there are thousands of podcasts. Now, not all of them are popular and not all of them are making money. That's not necessarily the beauty of podcasting. The beauty of podcasting is the ability for you to present yourself or your cause in any way you see fit. And that is, you know, you stick to what your passion is potentially, you are able to, with podcasting, talk about virtually anything. And that's when I was on the radio. I mean, you, you just because of the nature of radio, you just didn't have the opportunity to do that. Uh, and that's what's so great about podcasting is you can be your authentic self. You can talk about virtually anything you want. I mean, it's as simple as that. Uh, I, I'm not sure how much more I can go into that other than if you have an idea, you know, think about it. Think about educating, entertaining, enlightening your audience, engaging your audience uh, on whatever topic it is. That is the beauty of podcasting. I think that that is really and an, you know, very um, easy entry point. Right. It's not it doesn't have to be expensive. Uh, it's no. just a matter of knowing what it takes to launch it test it, get feedback, and continue to make it better and better. So I, I love the idea of podcasting. We love doing our podcast, but I also know that for those that are nervous about it, um, it's a great opportunity to contact Steve and at least get the training that they need even before launch. Uh, or if they've launched and they're not 100% happy about it, give you a call and have you provide some wonderful feedback and get them on track. So I love that. And now, I think... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, you really do need to, I mean, I would recommend right off the bat that you don't just start a podcast. Mm -hmm. I, a lot of thought really needs to go into it. I think you need to already think about how, you know, topics for episodes. You can't just say, oh, I want to talk about that and then not have any idea of how you want to talk about it, who your audience is. You really, and I, I talked about it in public speaking, the same goes for podcasting. Really think about who are you trying to reach with your knowledge and with your passion. That's You're right. going to be much more effective reaching people if it's not, oh, I really want to talk about this. Well, you might want to talk about that, but who who might, you know, who cares? <laughs> right. It might not be something that anybody cares about. And that's what we would, I, you know, we'd get these press releases that, 
from companies and like, you want coverage on that? No, come on, give me something that I care about that people would care about. So that's really something I would highly recommend that you really give it some thought before you try to launch a podcast. That's a very great point because I have met folks um, that have launched and didn't really have a structure and felt very frustrated that they did not get the interest that they were looking for, thought that they would have. Um, and so you made a valid point about that, you know, being able to really put things in place before launching because it is a, it is hard to take back the impression, especially when you've done a, a, a big, made a big deal out of the launch, get people interested, but then really it's not coordinated, it's not speaking to a specific audience, and you kind of have to relaunch again. So it's a waste of energy. I would say, but you know, it happens and yeah, it happens. Oh, absolutely. And, and there's three things also that I think folks should remember. And I had an article in PR news about this, uh, late last year. Uh, there are three things that are also that you really need to think about branding and using, thinking of a podcast as a branding and marketing opportunity, thinking it of a, as a way for you or your organization to become a thought leader and relationship building with your audience. You engage them, and you can engage them in a variety of different ways. Even say, hey, you guys have a suggestion for a topic. Let us know. You know, things like that. That's great. Well, Steve, I want to share one more thing before we come to a close. I know that in your free time, you write screenplays and radio plays. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, <laughs> explain I to us, Yeah, explain to us what, what types of screenplays you're interested in and what do you do for fun? Uh, in terms of screenplays, uh, comedies, very much interested in writing comedy, which, as you probably have heard, is a very serious business. Yes. Uh, I, I, do have a, I do have a writing partner who is a former child TV star. Uh, we do have a, a, a script out there uh, sitting at the desk of uh, a producer, uh, president of a production company out in Hollywood. Uh, it's been sitting there for a year uh, I am not sure. I think at this point it's probably dead. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, yeah, mostly comedies I write. Uh, you know, I talk about writing radio plays. I, I just do those for fun. Uh, one for my wife I wrote years ago. I wrote a one for our wedding, actually, <laughs> that played at the beginning of our wedding. Uh, I wrote uh, one for a friend's birthday, you know, kind fun kind of things like that. And I do a lot of the voices. So just just fun stuff like that. Uh, now, the other question, what do I do for fun? Yes. Oh, my. Oh, my. Well, my wife and I are going soon. We are going on a hiking, walking tour in Wales. So we <laughs> like to do that. We like to bike, go to the gym, watch movies. Right now we are uh, binge watching Breaking Bad, oh boy. which we never. <laughs> Which we never saw. Oh boy, is right. My yes. goodness. Oh boy, nail biting every every episode. <laughs> yes. So you you mentioned one more thing. I, I think this is just a cool thing to share with the audience. You mentioned something about uh, going and chasing an eclipse. So can you talk a little bit about that for those that might be interested <laughs> in following you and your wife? <laughs> uh, there is going to be a total solar eclipse in the U.S. Uh, in uh, August. August. 21st, I believe I have that date right. It is going to be seen over 13 states roughly across the country. My wife and I happen to be going to Carbondale, Illinois, because that will have the longest totality 
And the only reason that we're doing this really is I have a friend, a childhood friend who is, you know, I don't exactly remember his title, but he's the education outreach person for the Astronomy Society, something or other, a bunch of, ac- it's an acronym that I cannot remember. <laughs> he's a former, he's a former planetarium director. Uh, he's been chasing eclipses all over the country for years, all and, and internationally as well. Uh, my wife and I were out in New Mexico in 2012 in Albuquerque when there was a partial eclipse um, that we went and followed him to see, which was amazing. Total solar eclipse, this is the first one since 1979, I believe. So it's going to be quite spectacular by uh, all indications. So we thought, ah, let's go. Let's, it'll be fun. I just wanted so, to, be yeah. able to get, a, get a, a glimpse into your personality. Pretty, pretty cool guy. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you. I didn't have to pay you for that. Yeah. Yes, thank you, Steve. Well, well, please let us know. Excuse me, how we can get a hold of you, find more information about you and your business and your service offerings. Please, um, please share. Easiest way to find me is steveormedia.com, and my email is steve at steveormedia.com. And I also have a YouTube channel. So if you went on YouTube. It would be just type in Steve Orr Media. I have uh, videos on there, four short videos with some humor, uh, helping you become, uh, giving some quick tips on becoming a speaking pro. That's wonderful. Well, thank you for your insights today. Thank you for your generous uh, tips and feedback. And for our audience, please reach out. Uh, as you can tell, Steve is so accessible, uh, very you know, lovable charismatic person and here and ready to support you on your speaking journey as well as your podcasting journey. So thank you so much for your time, Steve. Again, I appreciate you. Thank you for being a part of our store community network. And we look forward to doing more and more work with you to help our clients and our community really soar in the market with their message. So thank you. And thank you. It's been a pleasure and an honor to be on your podcast and be working with you guys. Thank you so much. Well, thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the SOAR Community Network podcast. As always, we appreciate you, and we'll be talking to you very, very soon. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of SOAR Podcast. Join us by visiting soarcommunitynetwork.com.